What's going on guys? It's your boy DJ Scanless here and we're back with our second wrestling podcast on Scanless Talk. Anyways guys, let's get into the results of All Out. So spoiler alert again, if you didn't watch it, go and watch it before you listen to me. <laughs> so it was in Chicago, like I was telling you guys, the very first AEW World Champion was crowned. And we also had the whole storyline with Cody Rhodes having that brutal injury at the hands of Sean Spears, also known as Ty Dillinger. And this promised to be the most violent contest of the night, though only on paper due to the story presented. John Moxley was pulled from the card due to an injury, but we had Neville, aka Pac, or Pac, whatever you want to call it, be his replacement as Tony Omega. So on the pre-show, we had a 21-woman casino battle royal, and he had Nyla Rose pick up the win here. Nyla Rose showed her unstoppable power early, eliminated all the women to start it with her. Awesome Kong's entrance into the match ended up keeping Rose in check. Once Kong and Jazz got into a brawl and ended up both getting eliminated, Rose once again seemed untouchable. The woman to pull the Joker card in the Battle Royal was a surprise entrance of the night. Mercedes Martinez who put in an impressive showing. Priestley and Britt Baker were at each other's throats from the moment that they were both in the same arena, but they kept composed enough to survive the final three. Priestley caught the arm of Baker after she was eliminated and pulled her rival out to give Rose the victory. The Rose won the 21-woman Casino Battle Royal, last eliminated Baker to earn the spot in the AEW's Women's Championship match. So I kind of seen a mixed reaction on this. Overall, Nyla Rose gets a bad rap because she's a transgender woman, born a man. And I can see both sides of the spectrum here that she's still technically kind of a man, maybe taking different hormones to become more of a woman. So I kind of get the whole reaction that they should not make her the first woman's champion. But to me, it's not like she's like Terry Crews in a dress, suplexing women. She looks more the size of the women on that roster. It's not very noticeable that she was born a man unless you really know about her character and her real life persona. So I'm not really sure where I stand with that. If it was me, I would make Britt Baker the first AEW women's champion. That's just me though. Alright, so the second match was Private Party versus Jack Evans and Angelico, which I thought was a great match, but I can see why a lot of people were not giving it a plus. Private Party proved his mettle by keeping up with the speed and athleticism of the impressive Jack Evans and Angelico. Isaiah Cassidy ended up hitting both of his opponents with reverse hurricanes, then set up Mark Queen for the cutter for the victory. Afterward, the losers attacked the winners from behind and laid them out. So the whole analysis of it, it was a fun tag team match and it showed that Queen and Cassidy showcased once more of how good they could be. Their victory showed how much AEW is behind them. SoCal and Sensor vs Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. But you had SCU defeating Luchasaurus, Boy and Stunt by pinfall. This was a decent match but didn't really have nothing really going for it. No proper build up or storyline with it. And you really didn't have no stakes like a number one contendership for a tag match. But overall, it was pretty good build up for you to get introduced to the characters again, but not really for a storyline. And Luchasaurus had a great hot tag during this match that showed his strength and athleticism to work so well off his partners who were faster but cannot keep up with his power. After that, you had Kenny Omega vs Pac. Pac won right after Kenny Omega early, beating him down and wearing him out with everything at his disposal. While the best bout machine pushed his way back into the match, he took too much punishment, especially from Pac's devastating German suplexes. 
Omega seemed poised for the victory as he prepared for the one-winged angel. But Pac turned it into a brutalizer. Omega tried to fade, but passed out with the referee stopping the match. So Pac defeats Kenny Omega by referee stopping the match. This was a great match. And I think for this match, you have to give Pac or Pac his dues here. And I think you have to give him the win regardless if he's staying or not, because this is his first overall push on to the AEW brand. And Kenny Omega really doesn't need a win here. Now, I can see a lot of people saying that they're burying Kenny Omega, but I think you'll get a lot more flack if you actually make Kenny Omega win here. And the same with Cody Rose and Young Bucks, because then it can seem like that they're abusing their powers or or there's some type of favoritism. I think you get more of a storyline, more of a buildup if you have one of them losing a lot and being frustrated kind of like the Dolph Ziggler angle they had a, maybe a couple years ago on Smackdown where he was constantly losing all the time and you just couldn't wait for him to actually win or for him to get frustrated and turn heel so I think this could actually lead to something like that as Kenny Omega turned heel due to his frustration and then he gets back his edge of winning we also don't know if they're ever going to have a mid-card title. They might have a TV title, a US title, something like that. So then when you introduce something like that, you could have Kenny Omega win that, even though he lost a lot of matches so far leading into this. Because all you had to do is a tournament or something like that to really get him back on his game and get him proper wins and get him a storyline arc. Following the match, you have Cracker Barrel Clash, Darby Allen versus Joey Janela versus Jimmy Havoc. Havoc set the tone early when he brought out a stable gun and stabled himself. He put off Darby Allen and Joey Janela so much that they teamed up to take him out of the action entirely. From there, Allen put his body through the ringer and tried to take the win. However, Havoc did not stay down and Allen took one risk too many, hitting a coffin drop on a barrel into steel steps that eliminated him entirely from the match. This left the bad boy Havoc in the ring with the crazier man coming out victorious as Havoc hit Acid Rainmaker through a barrel for the victory. Result, Havoc defeats Janela and Allen by pinfall. And this was really a great match because the risk and the high fly moves that these guys take, it very it comes off reminiscent of like the 90s luchador type matches and also the early Hardy Boys team extreme hardcore matches. So some of the bumps are a little bit cringeworthy because you don't know if someone's going to get hurt. And a lot of these moves you don't see in the whole WWE. And maybe that's to protect them more. So when they do these strange moves that you're not accustomed to because you're because you're mostly accustomed to, to the WWE, you know, it, it becomes a bit cringeworthy, so to speak, because you're not used to those type of moves. And a lot of moves look like they could break somebody's neck or break them in half, you know, and, and they're perfectly fine. So I love the movesets that these guys are pulling off. I just hope they stay safe. Havoc took the least of the bumps and came out the star with the win. It was a big turning point for a man waiting for a real opportunity to shine. It will be interesting to see if AEW capitalizes on his spotlight. Then we also had the best friend versus Dark Order to earn the first round tournament bye. The Dark Order dominated the match early, but they were not ready for the hot tag to Chuck Taylor. Best friends took over this match and fought through the physical offense of Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. The minions at ringside swung back for the momentum and allowed the Dark Order to hit Trent Beretta with the fatality for the victory. They attempted to do more damage after the bell, but Orange Cassidy arrived to even odds and take out the luchadors at ringside. Result Dark Order defeats Best Friends by pinfall. The next match you had another AEW Women's Championship qualifier match, and this was the match that will lead up to facing Nyla Rose for the title. Hikaru Shida vs. Rhea. With the AEW's Women's Championship at the top of the ramp in the case, 
Rio fought tit for tat with Harkaru Shida. However, Shida took over as the contest progressed, showcasing her power to wear down the more experienced star. Just as Shida looked poised to take the victory, Rio caught her with the crucifix pinned to take the victory. Afterward, Nala Rose walked out onto the ramp to the stage to stare down the title challenge. This was a fast-paced, high-energy bout that also managed to tell a strong story. Both women are excellent performers, but Rio came out in a far better established way. That is why Shida had to be the one to take the lead. She made a statement by dominating the contest for long stretches and forcing Rio to play underneath. It was obvious that Rio was better to set up the win here, but both women proved they deserved plenty of spotlight. And I, I actually love this match because they're showcasing many Japanese wrestlers, and I know for some people, they get confused over who's who, and that actually happened to Britt Baker at one of the pay-per-views where she made the tag to the wrong person. But I think it puts them more on the pedestal, and I love the high-flying matches that they have together. And I think the Japanese women are far better athletes than the majority of the women's roster on AEW. The only thing is, you don't really see them do promo work because they probably don't know English too well. But I think they can build that in other ways, such as having managers and stuff like that, or just not have them do any type of promos. Alright, so we're probably going to get the biggest surprise of the night, which is Cody Rose with MJF versus Sean Spears with Tolly Blanchard. Cody Rose had a chance to choose one person to back him up for this match. He decided on MJF. The bell rang and the two fought right into the crowd before selling down. An angry Cody seemed poised to take down Sean Spears. However, Tolly Blanchard did everything he could to keep his pupil in the fight. It seemed Cody was in trouble until Tully's longtime partner Arn Anderson walked down and laid out Spears with a spinebuster. Holy shit. I would have never expected in a million years that Arn Anderson would come out and get into anything physical at his age. You know, last I recall that Arn Anderson had neck problems and that's why he was forced to retire in WCW. And he's around 60 years old, so I would never expect him to come off and do a spinebuster. Maybe a run-in and doing a clothesline, but a spinebuster is totally surprising. Once he hit the spine buster, Cody hit a disaster kick into a steel chair and the crossroads for the win. This match came with the most story and heat, yet it boiled down to too little wrestling and too much interference. While the work of Cody and Spears was solid, the action around them never allowed them to take the next step forward. By the time everything settled back down, it felt like they had lost too much time and they were just pushing to finish. Cody winning made sense, but it does hurt Sean Spears' chances of becoming a major heel on the roster quickly. Which I don't really agree with this statement by Bleacher Report because I feel like it can go either way with Cody winning or Sean Spears winning. I would actually have Sean Spears win here because it does more for his character to pick up the win, the early win right away, and to make him a dominant heel on the roster. However, I think they could progress the story onto live TV, on TNT, as well as their future pay-per-views as Sean getting frustrated and still wanting to battle Cody and still want to make his life miserable. So I feel like it can go either way here, depending on where they take the angle going forward. Next up, you had the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks and Lucha Brothers started off fast and did not slow down for a second. They set up ladders and tables just to get knocked down and everyone felt the full brunt of the weapons and play throughout the high octane contest. As the match wore on, each team came up with the strategy to get the titles only to be tripped up. Pentagon set one Jackson Brothers through a table on the outside, then was unmasked by the other. Who was knocked off the ladder as well. Finally, the Lucha Brothers hit an assisted package pile driver onto a steel ladder. This allowed Pentagon and Phoenix to take down the titles for the win. Afterward, two masked men laid out the Lucha Brothers and revealed themselves to be Santana and Ortiz, LAX. Result Lucha Brothers defeat Young Bucks to retain the Triple A World Tag Team Championships. 
The crowd loved this match more than anything else on the card, but it came off a bit too overindulgent even in spots that were great. It was obvious how much the tag teams had rehearsed and considered these spots, however it didn't add to any storytelling or psychology along the way. But overall having the appearance of LAX probably made this match of the night, as well as maybe the top surprise besides Arn Anderson coming out. We all heard that LAX was potentially going to sign, but we didn't have no confirmation until now. So really the tag team division is going to heat up with LAX, the Young Bucks, the Lucha Brothers, as well as Private Party and the Best Friends. Our final match we have Chris Jericho versus Adam Page. Now I know what you guys are going to say. This match, I think it could only go one way. But we'll get to that. Bleacher Report reports an overconfident Chris Jericho wore down Adam Page early. Hangman broke open the Painmaker to take over, leaving Jericho blind and vulnerable. Page was willing to take advantage of the opportunity going after the head injury. Despite this, both men refused to stay down. Each man kicked out of their signature move of the other until Y2J caught the younger competitor with a surprise Judas effect to seal the victory. This was a surprising strong match. In particular, Jericho and Page had chemistry that was not obvious going in. The two went to war and they clicked. From move to move and moment to moment, they never fell off. The sequences were some of the best and cleanest of the night. The storytelling was a little questionable. Page came in as underdog babyface, but he was often on top. Jericho got busted open and played under too often to sell Hangman to the crowd. It almost felt like a double turn was being set up. Instead, Jericho won clean despite his injury, making it feel like AEW was declaring Page is not ready for the top spot. He will have to commit to get a second opportunity like this, but his in-ring work shows that he can work at that level. Now, I do agree with the outcome of the match, but I don't agree with what Bleacher Report reported on the match. I think this doesn't discredit Hangman Page, and I think it actually pushes him more to be a main event star because he actually got the shine here, got the rub here, being in a main event with Chris Jericho. Even though Chris Jericho is out of his prime here, but I feel like for the first world champion, you have to give it to a highly credible star. And the really only credible stars you probably had is Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, and John Moxley. And obviously John Moxley's hurt, but he was already set up to take on Kenny Omega. And Kenny Omega only has that international appeal yet. He doesn't have that worldwide appeal with the younger wrestling audience. That's not used to New Japan and Ring of Honor. So I feel like giving Jericho the rub here was great because it creates credibility to the title. And then you can still progress this angle where Jericho drops the belt to Hangman Page in a couple months. Also, it makes it better for AEW to walk into their TV deal on TNT with a champion that's highly as credited as Jericho. But I did like the story with this because Jericho was saying that AEW would not exist without him, which you could make the case that they would not be on the level they are without him, but it may still exist if he was still part of New Japan or the WWE. And I also like the storyline of him feeling like he has to win as opposed to Hangman Page. And really the whole thing is Jericho proving to himself that he can still go at it. So I think that was a great storyline, great build up to it. Overall, this was a great pay-per-view. I was a bit disappointed that CM Punk didn't show up, but obviously he was not stated to be on the card at all. So it's not that too surprising that he didn't show up. Anyways guys, thanks for listening to my wrestling podcast. I'm not gonna do this all the time with every major wrestling event. Only certain ones that I like. And eventually I'm going to break down past angles and talk about things I would change. That's going to be more fluid and more opinionated on my part. But anyways, I want to give thanks to Bleacher Report for the reporting on this. As well as my partnership with the ringsideroster.com. Be sure to check me out on youtube.com slash scanless talk. Or you can go to anchor.fm. 
podbean.com under Scandalous Talk for all my news on wrestling, movie talk, sports talk, hip-hop talk, and stuff like that. I'm eventually going to do a regular podcast set up for just my wrestling as well. And if you guys have certain names that you want me to name my episodes or my show, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm going to name it. I have a couple ideas such as WrestleManiacs or Wrestling Maniacs as well as Undisputed Wrestling or Undisputed Pro Wrestling. But if you guys have any ideas, be sure to drop it below or be sure to email me at scanless at live.com. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Peace out.